Cheers. Well, as always, a stunning feast, guys. Well done. Indeed. We do all right. Should we jump into our first story? Should we, like, start this podcast for realsies? All right, I think I have to do the intro today. Mm-hmm. I did it last time. All right, you ready? I know because I just listened to myself. <laughs> all right, I'm going to see if I can do You it. like listening to yourself? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I do not. I love hearing about his sausage. <laughs> all right. Enough of the sex jokes, Clinton. Jeez. They're not jokes, Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> They're threats. <laughs> okay. Welcome to Murder Brunch. We are the Murder Brunch Bunch. I'm Rachel. I'm Clinton. I'm Joe. And this is the podcast where we give you two tales of mayhem and murder and discuss where killer lies on Dr. Michael Stone's scale of evil. I'll uh, take it. Wow. <laughs> Unnecessary. <laughs> Yes. Or it's compliments to the chef. Thank you. You're welcome, Clinton. <laughs> Disgusting. So what's up, Buttercup? Not much. Are we ready? Do you want me to just? Oh well, I let's talk about brunch and the drink and stuff like that. Of course. Um, That's why we're here. Right, right. So the brunch today has a bunch of stuff. Yeah, that it does. Clinton has created for us. We've got our regular fruit and yogurt and honeycomb. That's the only thing I think we duplicated this week. Yeah, I intentionally didn't do the frittatas because I'd done them two or three weeks in a row. But we did have scrambled eggs with salsa and sour cream, which is very tasty. It was tasty. And, I, put, and, and I made a sandwich out of that by putting it in one of Rachel's croissants. Yes, I brought croissants and bacon and sausage, stuffed mushrooms. And Clinton made an adorably ugly <laughs> bee cake. It's so that cute. Poor cake. I know. It, it was just. It was. Sucked. It was too. It was just. It just got really big for some reason. Just like me in 2020. <laughs> <laughs> we know the reason. Um, and then uh, Joe made a hot Jezebel, which is a fun little recipe with cream cheese and what is it? Apricot marmalade. Preserves. Preserves. Apricot preserves. And it's really tasty. And then our drink today is called a plain killer. Yeah, it's just well, called- that kind of opens it up. Yeah. Can't even guess from I that. Know. I know. I did that kind of on purpose. It's just a painkiller. It's it's a apparently it's a a spinoff of a painkiller, which is the same drink with brandy, but this one is with rum, coconut cream, orange juice, pineapple juice, and or something else. So I assume then the plain is a i n, correct? Not a okay. Yeah. Oh, because that would have been cool. <laughs> oh, like on a plane? Yeah. Yes. Oh yeah yeah no p l a i yeah. My story today is the story of Mark Twitchell. Twitchell. Yeah. That's a fun one, right? Twitchell. I love a weird name. You're just a bit Twitchell for me, you know? (laughs) Okay. So we're starting in October 10th, 2008 in Edmonton, Canada. John Brian Altinger. He's 38. He meets a woman named Jen on the Plenty of Fish website, dating website, and they arrange to meet. I used Plenty of Fish. Did you ever use Plenty of Fish? Did you ever use any dating websites? No, you were married before the they The men really... just came to reach. Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> well, you made all those milkshakes, and then they were in the yard. Yeah. Um, and I was like, get out of here. It's my yard. <laughs> You're walking all over my grass. Uh, shortly after meeting Jen, friends of Johnny start to get messages saying he and Jen are going to Costa Rica. And they're emails. And, it's, and I've read the emails, and it's him saying... Um, Jen is treating me to a tropical vacation at her winter home in Costa Rica. And we're going to go away for a few weeks and I'll see you when I get back. And she has a winter home, Mm -hmm. but I'll be answering emails. So his boss receives an email resignation. Oh, 
And when the boss asks where to send his final check, he doesn't get any response. And when Johnny's friends reach out and are like, hope you have a good time on this vacation, they well, also... What the fuck are you thinking? Yeah, they also don't get any response. <laughs> oh, no. This is, of course, out of character for Johnny. All right. A week... <laughs> a week prior, a man named... And I'm probably going to pronounce this wrong because it's French because he's from Canada. Gilles. Oh shit! Because it's, it's because it's an L L E. Yeah. You they the L is you hear an Gilles. L. Okay, so Gilles. And then what's the last name? Tetreol. Now let's just go with that's his name, and we'll call him. What did I just say? Gilles. 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 Tetreol. Yeah. Um. So Gilles met a woman named Sheena on oh. a dating website, and they set up to meet. So this was a week before Johnny, right? She wouldn't give him an address, but she gave him directions to a garage where he could meet her. What? <laughs> no? You don't like that setup? At least a restaurant or something. <laughs> so. First of all, any <laughs> online meeting, public, public place first. Public place first. That's a little tip for murder. Unless bunch. it's grinder, then just have them <laughs> Do over. Do what you feel. <laughs> Let the wind take you. If it's on grinder, I also suggest a public place, but you can do whatever you want. They're probably going to suggest a public place too, because. That's half the fun. So he meets this woman named Sheena, and they and he goes to the garage. When when Jeels get the, gets there, he lifts the garage door and he walks in, and the garage is dark. Oh no! I'm sorry. He gets there, and the garage is closed. Yeah, but he but she tells him, you know, I'm in here waiting. Lift the lift the garage door and come on in, big boy. You know. <laughs> Does she though? I mean, because that's just a, like you would step out of your car and like, where the fuck am I? Mm-hmm. But he goes in anyway because booty. And yeah. um, you gotta stick your dick somewhere. Yeah, he was immediately hit with a stun baton from behind. Turning hey. around, he comes face to face with a man in a hockey mask with a gun. Oh, no king shaming. Mask? No king shaming. Yeah, this is just it, like maybe this is what Sheena's into. I don't understand. Well, give a guy a warning. <laughs> you gotta at least settle on what safety words first. But anyway, man in a hockey mask with a gun. The man orders Gilles to get down and put duct tape over his eyes. Gilles is like, fuck that. I'm not doing any of that. And he attacks the man, realizing the gun is plastic. So he gets the fuck out of the garage, and he runs out to a nearby intersection where a couple is walking their dog. And he he asks them for help. Now, I have two versions of what happens here. One, the couple is like, you're part of some kind of mugging scheme. And they're like, we're not going to help you. And they keep on moving. The other one is that one source said that the man with the, with the hockey mask follows Jill out to this these people and says, it's all a joke, we're friends, it was just not a big deal. And he starts off his hockey mask, but then he thinks better of it, and he walks back to the garage. But either way, Jill gets away. Either way, those two people are like, we're out, and they, yeah. don't, they don't do anything. They do nothing. They do not help. Cool. <laughs> cool. I hope that dog lives a long life. <laughs> they probably will, if they keep doing that. <laughs> Not everybody could be a good Samaritan. Um, and that's what's wrong with the world. Mm-hmm. Jill doesn't report it because he was too embarrassed by what happened. He feels like he got scammed and obviously he was set up to be mugged or raped or killed or whatever. And he's embarrassed, which is unfortunate because I don't know. There's that masculinity, right? That like, I can't report this because I was the victim and I was seen as weak and blah, blah, blah. But if he had, he would have saved someone's life. So, but anyway. Johnny, our fellow from the beginning, was not so lucky. So, he's on his date with Jen. He had told his friends where he was going to meet her. So, they, t- the friends, tell the police, and that leads them to the film set garage of Mark Twitchell. So, let's talk about Mark. Mark was a 29-year-old nerd. 
he was married and had a baby daughter. He loved Star Wars, and he worked on a short called Secrets of the Rebellion in 2006, which garnered some notice. People in the fandom loved it or liked it or whatever they do. His license plate even said Dark Jedi, D-R-K-J-E-D-I. By the way, that license plate was found on a new red Mazda he bought, and that Mazda belonged to Johnny Altinger. So I say bought with air quotes. Oh. Yeah. He was a completely normal, kind of forgettable dude. Like he was, he had, he had no skeletons in his past. He, his, you know, he was married. He had a baby. His wife never thought anything of it. He was just this normal, normal guy. So nobody caught him doing anything. Right. The other fandom Mark Twitchell was into was Dexter. Oh. And he had lured Gilles and Johnny into his garage, which was set up like a kill room so if you're not familiar with dexter that's his whole thing is that he he puts up huge plastic sheeting all over a room and covers tables with it and and stuff like that and he prepares it for victims and then they want to come in he can kill them and then just strip the place and it takes away all evidence supposedly so he has his garage his film set garage set up like a kill room because he is filming a horror movie and because he is a friend uh, or a friend he's a fan of dexter's um Jill's got away, but Johnny had been attacked by Twitchell, who had a butcher knife and a heavy pipe. He hits Johnny over the head with a heavy pipe, kind of knocking him out, and then immediately cuts his throat to kill him. So he ends it pretty quickly. Um, Johnny is dismembered. But Mark, because the only thing he has to go on is Dexter, has no idea how long it actually takes to uh, dispose of a body. His idea is to burn it. He has no idea how hot the fire has to get or how long it takes. So he gets bored after a while, and he dumps the pieces of Johnny that are left over into a sewer. Um, well, his first mistake is that if you're not living by the coast, then you can't be Dexter. Right. <laughs> That's true. You need a boat. You need a boat. Yeah. Yeah. He claims self-defense in the trial. He says that he only intended to scare Johnny, but then Johnny tried to fight him. And so to... That's not self-defense. <laughs> I don't think that's the definition of it. Well, he just wanted to scare him. I just wanted to catfish him. <laughs> so, um, but there's a lot of evidence that leads to otherwise thinking. For instance, on that car, on Johnny's car, the red Mazda that he, he decided he, this is he mine purchased. Now. Yeah. Was a post-it that said, uh, that was a reminder to clean his kill room. There was also, yeah, there was also a post-it that said, have sex with a woman who wasn't his wife. I have no idea where was that this, led. Was this like a bucket list that yeah, he started? <laughs> also, a bloody butcher knife. So there's there's a lot of evidence pointing. Dexter it. would be so disappointed in this really dude. Um, there was also way too much premeditation. Uh, the dating profiles obviously were set up and curated to attract a certain type of guy. And he had these movie scripts. For instance, he had a horror movie that he was working on called House of Cards. And it is about a man lured to a location by a woman and then is murdered by a man who set it all up, which is literally what he did. Did he write the... <laughs> yes. Okay, so he is the author of this movie script. Yes. He is the director and the star. <laughs> he is. His goal is to become a filmmaker. That was his dream. Mm. And that and killing people. Mm. Was he making a snuff film? Like, was he trying to make a snuff film? I don't think so. Okay. I think that this was... This was just for fun. Right. No, I think the movie was something, it was legitimate. Like, I think he had casting going on. I think he was filming it. I think he was in the middle of production or it had just finished. You know, House of Cards was like a, a real film. 
but it was obviously living out a fantasy that he mm-hmm. wanted to take part in. And so he's done filming. He's like, well, what do I do with this now? Yeah. I've got this great kill room set up. You know, I don't know. Uh, and in the movie, the victim is bound to a table and cut up. So that's exactly what he did to Johnny. So is it, was he, was he planning on filming him doing this and then that is the movie? No, that's what Joe said. Okay, yeah. so... No, separate had, things. Yeah. yeah, he had created a movie. Okay. Yeah, and it just wasn't enough. Right. Didn't scratch the itch. Right. Now needs to do it for real. He began documenting the event in a Dexter-style book on his laptop. His descent into becoming a serial killer. That's what he wanted to record, basically. One of the quotes in this document was, I grabbed his jaw with my gloved hand and moved it while making a funny voice to make it look like it was talking and chuckled to myself at the total silliness of it all. So he's a fucking psycho. He's, you know what? He's not even a psycho. This is the problem that I have with Mark Twitchell. He's a piece of shit. You know what I mean? He like, it's, he's like a poser serial killer. You want to be Dexter because Dexter is, you know, quote unquote cool and interesting. And he's got this like a dark passenger and all this stuff like that. And I don't even think Mark Twitchell has the psychosis for stuff like that. I think he's literally just a piece of shit who wants to be, who wants to be seen as a Dexter type person. He wants to be more interesting than he really is. Right. And of course, if he... He was a true fan of Dexter, so you would know that he couldn't yeah. be that. And if you're going to be a fan of Dexter, then you have to follow his code. Mm-hmm. And obviously yeah. that wasn't it. So, I mean, he, he really has just wanted an excuse, right? Yes. Yeah. So also, it's a terrible to think that in that description, all I can think about is that scene from So I Married an ex oh, It's like, get, get on, on the scene, scene sex machine. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> It's true. He uh, he's lazy and he's and he's looking for excuse to hurt somebody. And that's what it and that just makes me like I'm we've done a lot of stories on here and a lot of pieces of shit have come up in our the in murder brunch or thing. But there's something about Mark Twitchell that makes me just like I'm viscerally disgusted by him. You know what I mean? Like there's something about him that I just want to like oh like a punchable face kind mm-hmm. of thing. Like I don't know. Also, don't you hate a dude who won't clean up after himself? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um he had a completely normal upbringing, by the way. He had no no abuse, no neglect. His parents were upper middle class. He has no criminal record before this. He had, like, not even a speeding ticket kind of thing. He was so white bread. Like, nothing ever shows up in any of his past. But he did seem to lack empathy. That was the big thing is that he, he couldn't seem to, in interviews afterwards, he couldn't seem to empathize with anything that was going on. But again, I almost feel like it was an act like to act cool that he didn't empathize with them i don't know it's you know i mean i obviously don't know this guy but yeah it sounds very much like you have a lot of the well he's the nerdy introverted type Mm -hmm. probably is just kind of he's like i have a wife i'm doing this it's all boring and like he hey hey you're talking about my husband (laughs) (laughs) i could be talking about myself i was about to say that's clinton (laughs) Uh except for the wife (laughs) So, and, and in all of his interviews, like, there was a, there's a gentleman named Steve um, Lillibuin who wrote a book based on this case. And he actually got to have, he, he did, like, hundreds of letters with Mark Twitchell and interviews with him and stuff like that. And he said he could be really funny and charming. And it seemed like he wanted to be friends with him. But he kept telling him, you're the subject of this book. I am the author. He kept a very clear barrier between the two of them because he could not forget you are a killer, which is important, I guess, that you should consider that. Yeah, but they also said that you know, Kemper was oh yeah social. You know, friendly. Butterfly. And, yeah, yeah, I mean, he was. I mean, they're all like that, right? Yeah. 
Not all of them. But Not all of them, but I mean, Ed like... Dine was probably a bit of a dick. But that's really the thing about it is if you have someone who is so, like, friendly that you you just kind of... Now, especially, like, I've been alone in the band doing stuff. Now, it's almost like if someone is too good to be true that you want to hang out with them a lot, they're probably evil in some kind of way. <laughs> I think that's taking a bit of a jump. But no, okay. I don't trust anybody now. <laughs> okay. Friendly people are evil. <laughs> Got it. That's what we're taking away from Not this. Not friendly people. Just people who are so magnetic that you are like drawn to them. That's an interesting. That's an interesting opinion. I mean, I've got I, doubts about my husband right now. <laughs> I'm not drawn to your husband. Yeah, me I neither. think you're I'm okay. <laughs> During the trial, <clears throat> they suppress some of his quote book, such as religious notions he had, where he says, "quote There are no deities or religious undertones in my life at all." The gory bits, quote, if I had a sense of smell, this might be disgusting for me, but I only find it fascinating. So he doesn't have a sense of smell. Apparently. Yeah. Note that. That's, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, self-diagnosis. Quote, I had found out through introspection and discussions with therapists that I am, in fact, a psychopath in almost every clinically defined sense. Eh, you're an asshole. He's an asshole, right? <laughs> like, he seems like one of those, like, incels. You know what I mean? That's like proclaiming or like um what is the meme with the, like the fedora wearing guys where they're like oh I'm, I'm a dark soul who you can't understand me and blah 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 and i'm like no you're an asshole like <laughs> yeah it just he's a rebel without cause <laughs> so anyway mark twitchell is found guilty of first degree murder he will not be eligible for parole for a minimum of 25 years this is canada they don't always do things for life while in prison this is a fun little fact he joined a dating site Yes, this next section is a quote directly from the Medium article that I used for my sources, so I just want to run with it. Just, just listen to what this has to say. We have a website facilitating the access of psychopaths to the general public, Staff Sergeant Bill Clark said. Let's face it, with Mark Twitchell, we've got a narcissistic psychopath, and I'm sure he'll be able to fool some woman into writing to him who will fall deeply, madly in love with him. Twitchell's profile says... I'm looking for an interesting, intelligent, open-minded, delightfully imperfect woman to relate to and share amusing observations with, as well as potentially a long weekend every few months if it gets there naturally. Melissa Fazina, who started the Canadian Inmates Connect website, had this to say, I don't exclude anyone, anybody from joining depending on their crimes. I just don't do that. The site charges inmates $35 a year to add their profiles. You probably wouldn't have even needed it. What do you mean? There's so many women that are like, oh, who who throw themselves at murderers and things like that. It's <clears throat> some kind of weird aphrodisiac. Yeah. So just the fact that he's 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 literally still able to use his modus operandi in prison. Oh yeah. That I mean, that true. is how he killed people. Yeah. That is how he got his victims. And they're like, you know what? That's cool. You go ahead and keep doing that. And I just, I don't get it. I don't get it. Sorry, Canada. I feel like that was a misstep. Has anyone checked his profile to see if he's on there as himself or a woman? <laughs> I have no idea. Because that's the thing, right? right? Is that he made these fraudulent accounts as a woman. With an end game in mind. He can't really do that from prison. I know, but that's the thing. It's like, are you still catfishing from, mm. from jail? So that is the story of Mark Twitchell. His poor wife. Yeah. It, I mean, and I believe by all accounts they're divorced. You know, I mean, I, mean, I, I would think, hope yeah. so. Um, but yes, and not only that, but like his family, like he, he had friends. He was very active in the filmmaking community in Edmonton. He was. There's a lot of people who saw Mark Twitchell as a completely different person. So, and he was leading this double life, briefly, but leading double life. 
So he was one of those people who did something terrible and it wasn't that, oh, he was a loner and right. I know, like, oh, that doesn't surprise me. Right. It because was, I think we get into some cases where you feel almost a little sympathy for some of these people because of, obviously, the choices they make are wrong, but their upbringing kind of leads them down paths that are unfortunate. He didn't. He had every opportunity in the world. He was perfectly fine. And he just did the, He just did this to be an asshole. And that's, again, that's what makes me just furious about the whole case. I just, I can't get over it. I read this and I'm like, you son of a bitch. Hmm. It, it kind of makes you wonder, was it really like, um, so there are those people who actually have the psychosis or whatever, where they, they have that urge and need mm-hmm. to kill. And so that's what makes them do it time and time again and become serial killers because they have, it's, it's a drug. They have to have a fix or whatever. Right. And you wonder if like, this was just his like little experiment, see what would happen or whatever. And then he'd be done or if left to his devices, would he do it again and again and again? I think he would have. I think he, I think this was a case of he thought he was too smart and that nobody would be able to find him out except for the fact that he is an idiot and he left so many different pieces of evidence behind. I think he would have kept going if he could have gotten away with it. But he didn't because he's a moron. That's why I did, like, there were some drinks I was looking at that were Dexter inspired, inspired, like, they have dark passenger drinks where there's these really dark drinks and cocktails and stuff like that. But I'm like, I don't want to give him the satisfaction. So I went with Plain Killer because he is a fuckhead. And I just, you know, that's... (laughs) Too bad he couldn't find the drink, the fuckhead. (laughs) I know, I should look that up. But that's why I thought he didn't deserve anything cool. You know what I mean? He's... He's just a terrible person. They're all terrible people. Yeah. I know. I don't I don't actually know why this one fires me up as much as it does, but Mark Twitchell. Dickhead. <laughs> so, the scale. The scale. Can you tell us about the scale, Clinton? Uh, yes. Um, the scale, developed by Dr. Michael Stone, is 22, not two. That's right. 22 levels. <laughs> um, well, Clinton can say it correctly. <laughs> Uh, that are used to determine, uh, based on severity and intent, how evil an individual is. And they go from Category 1, Justifiable Homicide, to Category 22, <laughs> Psychopathic Torture Murders, with torture as their primary motive. The motive need not always be sexual. Right. And you can find that scale in Michael Stone, Dr. Michael Stone's amazing book, The Anatomy of Evil. Okay, so... Personally, I only I can really only see Mark Twitchell. You guys can talk me out of it if you think of something better, but I really just see him as a level 14, which is oh. ruthlessly self-centered psychopathic schemers. I think he might be a psychopath. Like he mentions it as far as talking to therapists, but then also so did the sergeant, um, sergeant staff sergeant Bill Clark in at the prison. So he might have been diagnosed with psychopathy. So let's say he is a psychopath. He is self-centered. Uh, that's obvious. And he does scheme. He sets up elaborate plans and ruses to get what he wants. Um, I had a backup one, which I don't think it really goes for, but that was uh, level seven, which is highly narcissistic persons, some with psychotic cores who murder loved ones. And I know the loved ones kind of throws you off, but it was the highly narcissistic part that I went with. But honestly, I think he's a 14. Done and done. I I would say just the fact that he did the butchering of the body would put him at a higher level. Well, and I was looking at the ones with the torture part of it. Now, he he does kill Johnny before yeah, he really he gets to Yeah, he killed him immediately, so there's no torture. Well, I don't know. I, I Yes, I agree there's no torture in the sense that he's not alive and tortured, but there's something to be said about the, uh, how you treat a corpse. 
Sure, but that's not torture. Yeah, I guess. So anyway, I did look at the higher levels in case there was anything that kind of fit in there as far as whether abuse of a corpse kind of changes the severity, but nothing really seemed to work. And a lot of those have sexual motivations, and he obviously did not, as far as I could tell. Well, he didn't... I mean, who knows, right? Well, by his own admission, he would be a Category 4 Killing in self-defense, but extremely <laughs> provocative toward the victim. <laughs> that is true. That is actually a, an interesting point. Like, if we went with what Mark Twitchell defines himself as, that's that's actually a good question for Dr. Stone. Like, where would he have put him based on that kind of... And I would certainly consider what he did extremely provocative towards <laughs> yeah, the victim. exactly. Like, it really does fit in number four really well. But I don't want to give him the satisfaction. But yeah, it was also a great big fat lie. Yeah. I also like how the description for 13 begins with inadequate, which we would love to attach to him mm-hmm. here. Yeah, I think you're right. You might... He does feel like a schemer. Yeah. For sure. Even though they're pretty shallow schemes. I mean, 12-year-old's catfish. Yeah, it doesn't take much to lure a guy for sex, which is unfortunate, but it is what it is. So yeah, 14, are we in agreement then? Um, let's see what else. I'm, I'm jumping way up, way down the list just yeah, to sure. see. Convince me otherwise, that's fine. I just couldn't really find anything that he fit. No, it really doesn't. Especially the way that uh, Dr. Stone set up this scale, things tend to get a little more rapey mm-hmm. the higher up you get. Right. And that's not really his, his, his motivation wasn't. As far as we know. Yeah, like... Uh, I mean, and I'm sure that would have been called out in some like crime what, scene report. That's what I mean. He like plays with the guy's face at one point. If he had like, I don't know, put his dick in the yeah, mouth. Sure, you I'm, wanted to say it, I'll just say it. <laughs> then I'm sure it would have come up in the trial or or something like that, right? Yeah. Unless he's keeping secrets. Mm. But he sounds like someone who doesn't really keep secrets very well. Yeah, he would have written it down or look what I did about it. Yeah. yeah. Ugh, son of a- Bitch. I'm a psychopath. Look what I can do. Whatever. You're a stupid son of a bitch. <laughs> Just because you don't have empathy doesn't mean you're smart. For real. Like, that's the thing. Like, if he had just been smarter, I would have found his case more fascinating. But he wasn't. He was stupid and mean and cruel. And it's just, this poor guy just did not deserve to go through that. He was just looking to meet some girl. Like, yep. He was the definition, the definite, the description of Johnny was like he was just this normal guy. He spent a lot of time at home. I think he got, he was a little hard for him to meet women, you know, things like that. And he had thought he met someone he, I don't know. There's something about this case that's just like, mm, just like fuck you. <laughs> yeah, I think it feels weird putting someone who's killed one person so, uh, high. so high on the scale. But I can't say that it doesn't fit. And it's not lack for trying. That's true. And body count doesn't always define it. Right. It usually is determined by motivation or even personality. But yeah, he is is pretty high on the scale. I agree. I would say 14, actually. The description of it matches him pretty well. The scheming part is definitely what I think. A big tie-in. Yeah, really what gets me because I mean that's him sitting there thinking about it mm-hmm. over and over and over again planning yeah <sighs> I wish we could put him at 13 as an inadequate rageful psychopath he was angry one just because we don't have any 13s 
<laughs> but what? Who is he friends with at fourteen? So at fourteen, Peter Manuel. <laughs> Episode one. Fourteen with a question mark. Fourteen with a question mark. And then I don't remember who? Sonia Riskin. Oh, that was the Black Widow who killed. Oh right, 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 right. Like the two different husbands yes. in the Philippines. Yeah, yeah. So. She was a schemer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, no, she she. Got this shit guy done. is not yeah. at that level no, of no, scheming. Like, no, <laughs> years without people noticing what was going on. Yeah, that was. Yeah, you're not on the level of Sonia Riskin, you son of a bitch. <laughs> um, Sonia would kill you. He also he did shit like they they did they couldn't find Johnny's body because he wouldn't tell him where he was for eighteen months. Like, he was already arrested. It was already... And oh, like, no. He wanted to string it along and get famous for it. Like, that's clearly... Like, it seems to be his motivation. Ho- it's, he's probably hoping somebody will make a TV show out of him. Yeah. Well, I'm ashamed I did a podcast then. <laughs> <laughs> but here um, we are. But let's be clear. He's no Sonya Riskin. And he's no Dexter. That's true. And even Dexter, like, the writer and Michael C. Hall came out and said, like, they're disgusted by this whole behavior and that it's linked to them at all and oh blah, yeah how can you not because we all understand dexter is fiction mm-hmm. and you shouldn't play out fiction true unless you're larping <laughs> but be responsible no or it's tuesday night in the bedroom you can do whatever you want mm-hmm. right. larp responsibly <laughs> um all right well then uh, mr mark twinchel twitchell twitchell on the board 14 14 all right, so story two. This is going to be a little different than what we usually do, okay? Usually we do an unsolved murder, so we don't have a murderer to put on our scale. But this isn't really a murder, but it's a story that interested me a while ago. And then I found that it had actually been solved and followed up on. So I wanted oh. to present it. But it's not something we could put on the scale? No. Okay. Okay. So you might have heard it. This is the story story of Mostly Harmless. Okay. So it is widely believed that in April of 2017, a man known only by his trail name, Mostly Harmless, started hiking the Appalachian Trail. He started in a state park in New York and after 10 months in a thousand miles crossed into Florida. He was described by those who met him on the trail as being personable, kind, and handsome. And he was pretty handsome. I've seen pictures. (laughs) Six months after crossing into Florida, Mostly Harmless's body was discovered curled up in his yellow tent on a campsite in the Big Cypress National Preserve. When found, he weighed just 83 pounds. (gasps) And though he had plenty of money in cash, he carried no credit cards, no IDs, or cell phone. His identity was a complete mystery. The sheriff's department circulated a sketch, and many recognized him, but only knew him as his trail name. His fingerprints were not found on any database, and the autopsy could not find a definitive cause of death. As a side note, I don't like the trail name Mostly Harmless. Like, you know what I mean? It sounds like he'd be partly dangerous. Like, you know what I mean? Aren't we all? It's Douglas Adams, that Like, it's the hitchhiker reference. I know, but I still think it's... Mm. Mostly harmless. Get that. <laughs> okay. Most people should <laughs> read the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Fair enough. Douglas Adams, <laughs> literary classic. <laughs> All right, so, um, so 
They could not find a, a cause of death. However, over the next two years, this story became more and more popular, especially in the hiking and outdoorsy community. Natasha Teasley, a manager of a canoe and kayak company in North Carolina, started a Facebook group in an effort to identify him. The group grew to around 6,000 members. Wow. Despite huge number of tips and Natasha herself coming through a government database of missing and unidentified persons, there was no match. As more and more people became aware of this case, a mystique and mythos formed around Mostly Harmless. People began to devise stories about what happened to him and why he was hiking the trail in the first place. Most of the stories involved him running away from something. Running from abuse or an oppressive society. Wait, I don't understand. That's what they assumed or that's what they heard from his stories on the trail or something that's like that? That's what they people were saying. Okay. He had a substantial scar on his abdomen, which led some to believe that he had a terminal illness that he was running from. Um, I can't every, run from that. I know, but it's like hiking to his death. <laughs> um, romantic. Yeah. Every story was a tragedy. It was because of this notoriety that captured so many people's imagination and attention that $5,000 was able to be raised through crowdfunding for DNA testing. A bone fragment was sent to Othram, one of the, the only United States-based labs offering advanced forensic testing. <clears throat> While everyone waited for the testing to be completed, here are some of the suggestions from tippers. <clears throat> you make it sound like we're waiting for the testing to be completed. <laughs> it is. It's happening right now. Before we go into that, actually, like that, I would, I would assume that if a victim was found who is unidentified, you wouldn't need to crowdfund a DNA test. Why wouldn't they have done that? Because it's not part of their budget. You if can't. They, also, if they didn't consider it a homicide, the, the, it's a lot. Like if they thought this guy just like naturally died from starvation or something like that, they won't they won't spend the money on that. And truthfully, DNA testing is still very expensive. Right. And there's so many people that are found that are unidentified or homeless or have or nobody comes and claims them. It's like thirty thousand a year. Or something yeah, like they, that. It's some weird number. They cannot. There's no department the, the, that has right. enough money to DNA t- test everybody. Hmm. Yeah, so if nobody's looking for this guy, nobody's pushing it, and he wasn't considered a homicide, they're not going to do it. That's sad. It is. It is sad. And probably, I mean, eventually one day the science will catch up. Yeah. But it won't be for a long time. Yeah, eventually we'll have cops who will just, like, pinprick them on site, and it'll match something right there. And, but anyway. <laughs> ah, the future. Yes. <laughs> All right, so here are some of our suggestions. He sometimes signed into hostels using the name Ben Bellamy. People thought this had a significance, some even bringing up the fact that backwards it read, why me, Lib? <laughs> what? You give a fuck. Like that meant anything. <laughs> okay. A woman thought that he may be the illegitimate son of her drug-dealing uncle. Okay. And, and one person even suggested that he was, in fact, a space alien. Quote, a kind of astral... I don't know. Do you know what this word is? Uh, hold on. Where is it? Tocqueville. Tocqueville? T-O-C-Q... 
Tocqueville? I thought maybe that might be a writer. Mm. Right, an astro... Uh, Tocco... Tocqueville? Tocqueville? Tocqueville. Tocqueville. Uh, taking a long, long trip to get a sense of the people and the planet. When he was done, he wasted away and went back to Alpha Centauri. Think about it. <laughs> End quote. <laughs> Tocqueville it. was a famous diplomat. So I guess maybe they the are saying that Oh, he, he was an astral kind of, diplomat? Yes. Oh. He was mistaken for old classmates that turned out to be alive and well. <laughs> Well, at least that's good. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but one tip seemed promising. A man from Virginia said he had met a man in a bowling alley in Newport News. This man was a hiker and also dying of cancer. His name was Daryl McKenzie and was even quoted as saying, I came into this world without a name. I'm going to go out of this world without one. It's kind of very uh, D.B. Cooper kind of feel to this whole story. You know what I mean? A little bit, yeah. Uh, when was the timeline again? It was the 80s, 90s? No, no, no it was 2017. 2017, yeah. wow. Okay. Well, when his body was found, it was 2017, yeah. Right. yeah. Daryl McKenzie was turning out to be a very good prospect. His Facebook page had not been active since 2017. All of his posts... Posts? Posts. When he met his boy. Suddenly we're in the 1940s. All of his posts had been pictures of nature... However, when friends were tracked down, they were very clear that Mostly Harmless in no way resembled Daryl. In fact, Daryl was still alive and well in Los Angeles <laughs> and had never been bowling in Newport News. Well, what? So where did... So somebody just telling stories and making up names. <laughs> what? That's bizarre. I know, right? Or maybe it is like... I mean, people have the same name. they he could have met someone named Daryl McKenzie, and then they just found the wrong Daryl McKenzie I on Facebook. Guess. I don't know. Yikes. All right. The DNA testing comes back and shows that Mostly Harmless most likely came from the Assumption Parish in Louisiana, which he, he often told people on the trail that he was from Louisiana, but living in New York. So it makes sense, right? A focused information release was sent to the area in hopes that a family member would see it, but it was ultimately an old college roommate that came forward. Mostly Harmless was identified as Vance Rodriguez, and it turned out that he was well, not... not Daryl McKenzie at all. <laughs> oh it turned out that he was not the kind of guy everyone had imagined. Uh-oh. He was complicated. Mm -hmm. He was less harmless... More harmless? No, no, less harmless. Less harmless? More har mostly harmful. I'm sorry, go on. Moving on. <laughs> At a young age, he became resentful and estranged from his family, though no one seems to know why. At 15, he attempted suicide by walking into a field with a gun. He shot himself in the stomach. Oh, that was the scar? A wound that would cause the scar that everyone took notice of. But while bleeding to death, he had second thoughts and was able to flag down a passing motorist for help. His family institutionalized him after the event, which did not help the relationship. At 17, he emancipated himself, finished high school, and went off to college to learn computer engineering and coding. He was apparently brilliant at it, but dark and aloof. Mm. He would play games for 18 hours straight, 
And it was not unheard of him to completely cut off friends for days. We're really just talking about Clinton now. (laughs) I mean, for real, I went to school with many people. (laughs) Computer programmers, play video games, not talk to friends. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No one ever described him as creepy, just quiet. He would still go to parties and interact with people, but he would also have days of depression and never leave his bed. His friends called these days outages. That's fun. <laughs> it's just a cute, catchy name. Yeah. That's a good idea. <laughs> it's a, I almost said, where's Daryl? <laughs> it's not Daryl. It's Vance. It's Vance. Where's Vance? Oh, he's having one of his outages. Yeah. He was this way, even after leaving school and getting a job in IT at Shopper's Choice. Which is some kind of online shopping thingy. I don't know. However, he did have a dark side when it came to his relationships with women. He is reported as being verbally and emotionally abusive. One ex-girlfriend said that he would lock her out of their New York City apartment once right after she had gotten out of the shower without any clothing. Oh, man. The same woman was injured in a terrorist attack in New York City and suffered from PTSD, and it would seem that he resented having to take care of her for it. And he would apparently lock her in the dark when she was afraid of okay, being alone. so he's an attack. asshole. Yeah, right? A couple Enough. assholes in this episode. I know, right? <laughs> it's, it's a plethora of assholes for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so There's your title. <laughs> so many assholes. Another woman even wrote on her Facebook page the, the following after their breakup. Quote, apartment, 950 a month. Bills, 300 a month. Standing up to the monster that beat you up emotionally and physically for five years? Priceless. Mm. End quote. <laughs> it was just a few months after his latest girlfriend left him that he started his hike. By all accounts, it just seemed that it was... Very sudden, as if he got up one day and just decided to leave. He was gone for 15 months and no one was looking for him. His partner was gone, his family had no contact, and his friends were used to him just disappearing for a while. Those who knew him believed that he was running from the person that he was. On the trail, he seemed to be completely different. Maybe he just wanted a do-over. And as far as cause of death, his friends believed that he had a very severe outage where he simply could not get out of bed and his starved body just could not survive. Wow. So he, because on the trail, he presented himself as almost like extroverted. Like he was friendly and kind and like everybody. Yeah. I mean, like. And mostly harmless. Mm. Yeah. I mean, like he would help people. He, I know there was one story of like, um. We know them as road rangers. They had a different name for them. Where, like, they saw him hiking on the side of the road, so they picked him up. Right. And, you know, he, he, they're just like, oh, he was so handsome. He was so nice. And, and you know, he would do things for other people. And he had no of this, like, he wasn't dark. He wasn't brooding or anything like that. Which, for the majority of his life, that's what everybody known him as. I mean, I think it's obvious to anybody who actually reads this story that he suffered from severe depression probably well i say probably like i know anything i don't know anything (laughs) but it kind of seems like he may have even had bipolar Mm. and if he never got medicated for it and he self-medicated or he kind of just tried to deal with it that i'm sure messed him up so so his friends and i'm assuming the authorities also believe he just kind of curled up in his tent and died yeah wow i mean they did say there were those days where he just could not move 
And from what we know now, I mean, they, that's a, a very real thing. Well, we have we have friends who suffer from different mental illnesses like this. And she has said stuff like, if you are the days when she goes to parties and she's out and she's friendly and she's up and she's almost manic, you know, and that kind of stuff, coming down from that is really hard. So if he was on this trail and he was um, happy and kind and out there and meeting people and stuff like that, and then he got to a point where it's like, it's all too much. I've done too much. Mm-hmm. Then it, it might have been just a huge um, bellowing out. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, because I bottoming mean, out, I should say. There's really, I mean, even though he was only 83 pounds, there really wasn't any reason for it. He was, where he was found was close to a major highway. He had plenty of money to like buy food and, and supplies. So... It's not that he got into a kind of trouble and then he starves. He just like gave up. Yeah. That's what it seems like. Oh, interesting. Why did why did you pick this case? What What is it about it that interests you so much? Because I had heard about this case a while ago. And it was, I heard about it when it was the stage in which they found a body in the woods. They don't know how he died and they don't know who he is. Right? And that was really what it is. I'm like, oh, well, that's interesting. You know? So when I went this past week to look up the story because that's what I was going to present and found out that they had figured out who he was and it was you know so much different than what everybody had assumed I thought that was even more interesting yeah and we're huge advocates of supporting your own mental health and definitely this is a story to remind you to seek help if you need it yeah right. um, a uh being in lockdown for a year, very similar to hiking the Appalachians. <laughs> and it, well, it's been 15 months, right? Yep. And even the the PTSD from it. I mean, there's people who were, this is affected in a lot of different ways. So, But I think it was also a very interesting um, concept of which you meet people and you never truly know what's going on under the surface. Or even who they are. Like what you're presented to that day may not be who they were 10 minutes ago or, or 10 years ago. You know, people do change in ways. Like, the idea of, of starting over, of going somewhere and becoming this new person, this new persona, is fascinating and horrifying. But also kind of encouraging in certain situations. Sure. I mean, there's probably been plenty of women in history who have, the only reason why they are, you know, survived and were alive were because they somehow ran away and got to start a new life. Sure. I, I find the interesting similarities between our two cases as far as a man who is keeping a side of their personality completely secret. And then they responded in totally different ways. Yes. Like, this guy recognized, like, hey, maybe that was... That, that should be past me. I should I should move beyond this. I should We're improve. assuming, yeah. I'm, I'm being very generous to him. But it sounds yeah, like... he used to beat women, so let's not be too generous. <laughs> well, oh, you don't know exactly if he beat them or... But the, it was definitely some kind of emotional trauma. Right. But you're right. If that was the case of, like, I need to turn my life around, where I'm at is right. unsafe or unwell, then yeah. And when I was researching this, there were several stories where people were like... They're saying how you you go out into nature to find yourself and to renew and to rejuvenate and and perhaps to look inward and and see what's wrong and and erase or or get better mm-hmm. you know so maybe that's what he was doing maybe he was just better in the woods who knows maybe he still had suicidal thoughts and this was his way to go maybe you know? he couldn't go through the pain of shooting himself in the stomach but he could go through 
kind of wasting away. Yeah. I don't know. I couldn't. I get very hungry very easily. You'd start eating those campers. Oh my God, I would. Yeah. <laughs> like a bear. <laughs> Rachel, it's only been a few hours. I, I think it was a bear. <laughs> no, it's just a woman in the woods. <laughs> oh man. That's a tough one. Interesting. All right. Well, uh, I suppose this is the end of this episode of Murder Brunch, unless we have anything else to add. Uh, oh, Clinton. <laughs> uh, the bee cake is not a win. I like it. I'm going to take some. It was home. tasty. It kind of sounded like you said the beef cake. The beef the cake. The beef cake is always a win. <laughs> I'm going to take some of it home. Please do. I will. I, I figured you'd appreciate that. I'm not. But other than that, you can join us next time for... Well, we have to cite our sources for... God damn it! You're right. <laughs> I always forget. I forget the run of the show, and we do it every week. I don't understand. All right. My sources for the story on Mark Twitchell. There is a fabulous article written on medium.com. I highly recommend it. And then CBS News and CTV News, which is a Canadian news site. I also have CBS News as one of my sources. Their art or yeah, their article solving the mystery of the Appalachian hiker mostly harmless. And also wired.com, they had a great very lengthy article. Their article is very good because it's an investigative article and the guy who wrote it wrote an original article trying to find his identity that led to him being known and that's the unsettling truth about the mostly harmless hiker by nicholas thomas very good all right and as i was saying oh socials go you know where to find us we're not doing this every time guys twitter instagram (laughs) our email please email us yes is at murderbrunchbunch at gmail.com and our podcast for any upcoming episodes if you're not getting them on a stream is uh murderbrunchpodcast.com and you can also uh, give us money at Patreon if you so choose to. Yes, $5 a month gets you a free story every month. Buy. nothing else, it gets you fantastic cocktail recipes. Cocktail recipes. And, you're, and we have neglected to tell you that your free story of the month will be presented by... Clinton. We've not agreed on this yet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not cutting it out, so it's... It's, so it's it canon now. Written, so, so let I'm, it be done. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so, uh, definitely look into that if you would like to support our murder brunchy activities. Makes it sound like we're doing murders. We are not doing murders. We're definitely doing brunches though. We're definitely doing brunches. I am super full. Uh, all right. Is that everything? I haven't forgotten anything. (laughs) Maybe. Join us next time. (laughs) For more mayhem. More murder. More snacks. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) Goodness. I never get to say that. <laughs>